Grass withers and the flower fades and the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah is an interesting book. Um, it's sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel. You know, we have the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They share uh, the majority of their content. John is kind of a unique gospel. And sometimes the book of Isaiah is, is mentioned as the fifth gospel because there is, there is so much in the book of Isaiah speaking of this coming Messiah, there is, it's loaded with prophecy about this coming child, this coming king, this coming shepherd, this coming ruler. In fact, in your bulletin, I forgot to mention this, but I included on the back side there uh, a reading uh, schedule to go through the book of Isaiah leading up to Christmas. One of your, one of your Advent exercises, I'm not sure if you have an Advent practice at home. There's lots of, a lot of good devotionals out there, but... One thing, one idea that a person I follow on Twitter uh, is to read through Isaiah. That's why there is the little hashtag. If you're on Twitter, you can save that hashtag, uh, Isaiah Christmas, and then he'll actually release each day uh, just some commentary and comments of others who are reading through Isaiah in this season um, about uh, the, what we see of Christ in the book of Isaiah. But Isaiah, it is an, it's a fascinating book. He's an Old Testament prophet. And and gives us many different prophecies, and they're all spaced out in different time periods. It's, it's tough to read Isaiah because we're used to reading narrative. We're used to reading this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And Isaiah is, is, are chunks of prophecy where, where Isaiah has said this about a certain people and, and, and given a certain prophecy. In fact, our, our passage this morning comes at the end of a prophecy that actually begins at, in chapter 8, verse 1. We see, then the Lord said to me, Isaiah is writing. So this prophecy, we're at the tail end of it in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, that begins in, in chapter 8, verse 1. And so there's, there's a, there are several of these just kind of uh, isolated prophecies in the book of Isaiah. There, however, are common themes to each one of them. Some of the common themes are judgment on nations. You read Isaiah, sometimes it's tough to read because it is just talking about the nation's rejection of God and then the judgment that is coming. But they're, and it, you, they're easy to find because they, they jump out at you. But a, a more relevant theme to this season of Advent is this theme of a coming rescuer. A Messiah, this, this expectation, this longing for someone who is going to show up. And if, you, if, you, if you're in Isaiah 9 from this morning, you can flip back to Isaiah 7. Is a very famous one of those prophecies. And Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a very another familiar uh, Advent theme, Advent or Christmas message, right? Well, behold, the virgin shall conceive, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Isaiah has a lot of those snippets. But this morning is, is, is one that's just as well known because of these four names that are given to this coming Messiah, right? Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, four things here, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. In fact, if you, so it used to be a tradition that the high school used to do it. We would sing Handel's Messiah. As you know what Handel's Messiah is, it's a, you don't forget it. I mean, it's a very powerful song, but it, there, if you listen through, and I reckon, I, it's tough, maybe you don't like classical music, but it's kind of fun to just pick up and listen to the first four or five songs in Handel's Messiah and just listen through them, and you'll hear these, this refrain of this wonderful counselor, and, and it's sung. I'm not going to sing it for you, uh, but, but trust me, it's in there, and, it's, and because Handel's Messiah actually is working through uh, Bible scripture. It's actually a very scriptural song. But anyway, this is a well-known refrain, right? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so for Advent this year, I thought it'd be interesting to just kind of take a look at each of these individual titles, what they mean in, in calling Jesus, this coming Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and then how that affects us today. So the first name that Isaiah mentions in this list is the name of wonderful counselor. And part of our effort in looking at these names is going to be trying to make sure we understand what Isaiah is really saying in these names. So we have to ask, what is meant by wonderful and what is meant by counselor? The reason why we have to ask is because it's easy to just assume we know exactly what it's talking about. But you start thinking about words and language and you realize there can be a wide variety of understandings of what is meant by any individual word. So we might miss some of the beauty and, and the truths that are held in these titles. So first of all, what does it mean that he's wonderful? And why do we have to think about that? Well, we use the word wonderful in lots of different ways. So, um, for example, um, whenever someone cooks you a meatloaf. Yeah, there hasn't been a meatloaf reference in like a year or something. If whenever someone cooks you a meatloaf, what do you say? That's wonderful. That is a wonderful, what a wonderful gift that you have got me, that you have brought me a meatloaf. That is wonderful. And when, when your child maybe uh, uh, gets their crayons out and does a work of art and brings it to you, you say, that is wonderful. That is a wonderful work of art. And, and to you, it has a very much a, it is very, it's wonderful. And there is a sense of, you're, you're, you're glad that they're able to make art. And you think, well, this is, this is wonderful. Or maybe you um, have caught some of these sunsets lately, these, these late, early winter, late fall clouds. Sun, sun stays really low in the sky for a long time. So the sunsets are much longer this season. And so you, you just look at it and you think, what, this is wonderful. That is a, a wonderful sunset. And sometimes we use the word like this. We're on a way to get to an appointment and we get a flat tire or something and we say, well, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> when we use the word many different ways, right? Isn't this is just wonderful? Uh, but what is meant by this use of the word wonderful? And certainly the meaning of the word is just something good, right? When we usually use the word wonderful, we mean that something's good. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's good. But the Hebrew word here has meaning of something unusual, astonishing, surprising. That it isn't just wonderful in that, well, I'm glad you did that, or it's very nice, or this is delicious. But it is it's an astonishment wonderful, like truly meaning full of wonder. We can look further back on Isaiah 25, and it's speaking and using this same word here of wonderful. Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 9. 
speaking about the wonderful things God has done. Oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. And this is not just meaning like good or nice things. Wonderful things, things full of wonder. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like a heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So you get just a glimpse of what is meant. This word wonderful is, it's astonishing what God can do. One full of wonder. I mean, it's, if you break the word and turn it around, it, it, it actually is meaning, what a wonder. This is, there's astonishment at what, this, what God has done. We might flip also back to Exodus chapter 15. It's the second book of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus chapter 15. And using of this word wonderful, Exodus 15 is the song of Moses. But you think about what the children of Israel went through in their exodus, in their leaving of Egypt. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Look, hear what God has done. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, the largest army imaginable, Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like a stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the hearts of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. That's what the enemy says. Verse 10, you, speaking of God, blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Hear that, hear that refrain. That's the same Hebrew word there, doing wonders. 
Who is like you doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. This is the meaning of this word wonderful. He's, he is a God that certainly has full of wonder. He's speaking about the, Moses is speaking about these wonderful acts that God has done. And they are wonders, not just because they are extremely good. It was good that the Israelites were rescued, but they are astonishingly good, astonishingly good and wise and powerful. The emphasis behind wonderful counselor is not just that he's a good counselor, but truly wonderful. What he has to say certainly can be called good, but it is far more than just good. It's the amazing wisdom. Isaiah mentions it again in Isaiah 28, speaking of the way of, of nature and how God ordered it all to work. He talks about the seed and how the wheels crush it, and God has ordered all of these things just so. God has amazing uh, knowledge, amazing order. The way that he has run the world to go in just a certain way makes him not just a good counselor, but a wonderful counselor. It's amazing the knowledge that he has and the way that he works. He has wonderful, astonishing counsel. And that's the heartbeat behind this word wonderful. But now what's meant by counselor? So we got wonder. It's not just, oh yeah, God's a wonderful counselor. He's a, good, he's a wonderful counselor. Meant to be full of wonder. It's amazing who this, who this guy, who this God is. But now what's meant by counselor? And many times we read this kind of anachronistically. Um, you know, an, an anachronism, here's to give you an advent, like a, a word, a new word. An anachronism is reading your present situation back into history. So um, an example of an anachronism would be, you know, uh, why didn't, if Jesus wanted to get his message out, why didn't he just tweet it to everybody? Well, that's, that's, that's taking your modern culture of having Twitter and putting it back into the time of Jesus. Why is Jesus out on the boat? Why didn't they rent a PA system so that Jesus could have projected his voice? That's, that's thinking anachronistically. That's, that's taking your modern definitions and putting it back onto uh, that time. We, we see it all the time like in art. Um, well, the, this picture here is not meant to be on the side of our wall. It's not meant to be uh, an actual literal realization of what Jesus did. But that door would not have existed in Jesus' time, it, looking like that. Um, the Last Supper, very famous painting, right? What are they all doing? They're all sitting at a table with chairs sharing a meal. That is not the way that it would have went down, right? We talk about reclining that table and the feet sticking out. They're all laying down around a low table. That's anachronistic thinking. That's, that's taking your modern reality and just thinking life has always been the way that it is now. And so you can look at this counselor and, and read it anachronistically because we know what counselors are today, right? We have, you can get a counseling degree. You can be a counselor. I mean, you can have... People talk about going and getting therapy and having talk therapy and, and going to a counselor. But our modern view of a counselor is someone who we go, go to, and often what, what a job of a counselor is, is just to listen to your problems. So you would go and you would lay down, and they have the famous you know, couch that you would go lay down on, and basically it's talk therapy where you just kind of spill your guts and talk and talk and talk, and a good counselor is someone who listens, Right? 
I don't think I'm painting that a wrong picture. That's what we think of a counselor, someone who is a good listener, maybe asks some thoughtful questions. Say, have you ever thought about this? Or, you know, do you see how these things are connected? And then let you just keep talking. And so we take that modern definition of counselor, and what, what sometimes we think this means is that Jesus is just a really good listener. And so we say, well, uh, he's a wonderful counselor. Any of your problems, uh, you can just come and you can give them to Jesus and he'll listen. That's true. Like, I won't say that's not true. Jesus knows all your problems. God is aware of all your problems. He knows them far better than actually you do. And yes, you should feel free to lift up your concerns and give your requests, your, your, your desires, what's upsetting you. You're telling your problems to Jesus. But that is not what is meant in the term wonderful counselor. That is not what is meant in this attribute. A counselor in this usage is someone who gives counsel. <laughs> And we kind of have lost that idea. When no one wants advice, that's what we try to say now. It's like, well, I don't want advice. I just want you to listen. Well, this idea of wonderful counselor is someone who knows what should happen, who knows what's going on, and then gives counsel. This is someone who knows what should be done and then communicates it. They give direction. They understand what's truly going on and they tell those who will listen what they should do. And in this way, the Messiah who is coming is going to be called the Wonderful Counselor. A counselor, especially a wonderful counselor, is someone who speaks with authority and who you want to listen to. And this is who Jesus is. He is a voice that speaks with authority. And he does this, he's able to, because he is the sovereign of the universe. He speaks what should be done because he knows exactly what should be done. The reason why he is amazing counsel is because he knows what's going on. And the reason why it's called counsel is because he's able to say and communicate, here's exactly what should be done. He is truly a wonderful counselor. What does someone do, though, when we find a wonderful counselor? Someone who's able to tell us exactly what needs to happen. What does someone do when they discover a truly wonderful counselor? Sadly, I think the answer is probably nothing. Many times when we find a wonderful counselor, the response is nothing. Is kind of, um, you know, there's a real resistance in our hearts against a wonderful counselor because we honestly think, I've pretty much got it figured out. There is very much um, a, a, a mentality in our age that we may be glad that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, but you know, I'm pretty wonderful myself. I, I, if we're honest, I, you, I, I'm glad to hear your opinion, and thank you. I will certainly think about that wonderful counselor, but I have some ideas of my own. And we can kind of chuckle, I mean, you know, but I think if we're honest, sitting back and thinking about our own lives, our own trajectory, our, what decisions that we've made, there have been countless times where maybe we knew what the wonderful counselor would say we should do, and we thought, yeah, but you know, I'm, I, I've got this figured out pretty well myself. The mentality of our age is that we're glad Jesus is a wonderful counselor, but we're pretty wonderful ourselves. We ask ourselves, what can he really know? But a far better question, a more honest question, is to ask what we could possibly know. If, if this counselor who is real and has, is communicating truth to us started the universe, is there before 
eternity, everlasting Father, we'll get to there. If this, if this, this one has been there at the beginning of all things, what makes us think that those of us who possibly some 90 plus have been around have any idea even compared to the knowledge of this wonderful counselor? But we do. We do. The creator of the universe's knowledge weighed on the scales against all of ours. He wins. He is the wonderful counselor. So he's this wonderful, and he's a counselor, wonderful counselor. The next question then we get to is what is our response? What, what is his, what is the wonderful counselor's counsel? And there's four things I want to emphasize that this wonderful counselor's counsel is. The first of his wonderful counsels, this his wonderful counsel is from the Gospel of Mark. I love how the Gospel of Mark starts out. He begins, Jesus shows up on the scene, and immediately he goes about preaching, repent, and believe the gospel. Our wonderful counselor's first counsel coming from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. His counsel is repent. We are called, instructed, and warned, warned to turn from the sin that is constantly threatening to us. Could it be that the wisest action you could pursue when sin rises up and you're tempted to it is to turn from it? That your wisest counsel for you when, when sin has struck, when you, have, when you have turned from God, when you have chosen your own counsel over God's, is to then repent and turn. That is what the counselor calls for. Because, and he, it's a universal counsel because he knows that what the world is full of are those just like you, just like me, who have fallen in our sinfulness and are turning daily from him. And what we need, his first counsel is confess, is repent, is repent. And that is wonderful. That is this wonderful counselor's admonition. The first is to repent. The second, right there in the same text, is to believe. This is the call of Jesus, to believe in him as the one sent by God. Remember, this is wonderful counsel. These are the words of the wonderful counselor. Repent and to believe. It's exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 29. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This wonderful counselor, he's going to personally bear the sins of his people on the cross. He has come to earth. Christmas Day, we celebrate his birth. Lives a righteous life we all should have lived but didn't dies the death that we deserve upon the cross, bearing the wrath of God in our place, condemned he stood. Three days later, he is raised from the grave in victory over death. And his counsel is to turn from your sin and believe in him for the forgiveness of your sin. His counsel is to believe in him that you would be forgiven, made righteous, and adopted into God's family. Wonderful counselor, what is the counsel? Repent, believe. Thirdly, his counsel we find is one to obey. What's the point of having a wonderful counselor if you're not going to listen to him? What's the point of having a wonderful counselor if you're not going to listen to him? 
Does it ever cross your mind that the one who ordered the world knows exactly how life should be lived for your highest joy? Maybe he knows. Maybe the wonderful counselor knows how the world works and how it should be lived. Jesus says to the man at the pool of Bethesda when he heals him, he says in John chapter 5, he says that this man should now go and sin no more. That the whole point of this coming to, coming to health, coming to a vision of seeing Christ for who he is, is that he would then go and obey this one who has done so much for him. Even when doing the right thing may cause us grief temporarily in this life. There are times when righteousness may not be the thing you want to do and it may actually cost you. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you uh, relationships. It may cost you money. It may cost you all sorts of things. It may even cost you your life to possibly be righteous and do the thing that you know that you should do. Even when doing the right thing may cause us grief temporarily in this life. The reality of knowing that we are Christ's and that the king of all the universe is for us, that reality gives us strength and fills us with the joy that enables us to obey his command and call. Righteousness is believing in the reward of delayed gratification at times. This wonderful counselor, repent, believe, and live a life bearing fruit of that repentance. Could it be that even though everything in your desires may be calling for sin, that maybe the wonderful counselor's counsel to stop from sin and to follow him actually is wonderful counsel and we should listen to it and we should obey? Repent, believe, obedience, fourthly, expect. This is where Advent comes in. We live in this time between the two Advents of Christ. The first advent or coming. Advent, as Dennis said this morning, means coming. It means the arrival. That's what advent is about. And it's this period of, of actually the church, we live in a season of advent, of, of long waiting for the return of Christ after his ascension. Christ counsels us to live in expectation. One day he will return and his kingdom will be fully established on earth, never to end. And the point of advent this several weeks is to emphasize that waiting as a longing expectation. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This is after Christ is resurrected, given the Great Commission. Luke reiterates what he does, what he finishes in Luke 24, goes on in the book of Acts, and he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It gives us this sense of expectation. Christ has ascended to the Father. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And though they were looking, as, it, as they say, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Though they're looking for this kingdom restoration, 
this angel comes and they're commissioned. Jesus commissions them to go and be his witnesses. And the angel reminds him that kingdom is coming. Just as he ascended, he will return. Wonderful counselor. The question that we are left with is, is not if Jesus has anything to say, but if we will listen to his counsel. Do we have ears to hear the counsel? What will we do with this wonderful counsel? But more than that, what will you do, what will we do with this wonderful counselor? Because this is not just some abstract advice, like it's con wonderful counsel, here it is, here's this content for you to deal with of wonderful counsel. Christianity is not about content, it is about a person. It is about the counselor. So the question isn't just what will you do with this wonderful counsel, but what will you do with the personal wonderful counselor? What will you do with this king, this, this Jesus Christ who has come and is alive and reigning on his throne today and one day will return? The question remains if we will embrace him as our king and wonderful counselor. And communion is a way to express that. It's a tangible way. We come forward for communion in our services. It is a tangible way for you to make a statement to yourself, to whomever, that I am, I am coming to Christ. I am coming to confess my sins and my unworthiness. I'm coming to confess my belief in the work of Christ and the, and the bread and the cup as their symbols of the forgiveness given for our sins. I pray that this morning we'll not only hear the wonderful counsel to repent, to believe, to obey, to expect, but that we will embrace the wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Father, do this work in our hearts as only you can do. We are grateful that we have a sovereign God who has spoken. We are thankful that you have not remained silent but have given us your word Give us ears to hear your counsel. And more than that, God, give us hearts that know you, that know the counselor, that have a, a real relationship with you. Do that work in our hearts as we prepare and come to communion this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.